As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, y'all, before we get to today's show, we want you to check out this podcast that we are so excited to share with you. So take a second, listen to the trailer, and we will get back with you for today's case. Sherry Schreiner was an ordinary woman who convinced thousands to join her doomsday alien internet cult, which ultimately resulted in murder, suicide, and mind control. How does a poor woman with practically nothing inspire mankind to stand up against the strongholds of Satan? So how did this Midwest mom turn into a maniacal cult leader? Find out on The Opportunist, a new podcast from Cast Media. Listen and subscribe to The Opportunist on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Okay. I feel like you're already like, oof. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I know just the way you said it. Okay. Well, welcome back <laughs> to Killer Queens. Yay. Yay. Let's get this, uh, get this energy up. Yeah, so today's a good murder. day for Tori. Yeah, I'm having a great day. <laughs> well, you're having a great day, but also, like, case-wise, as far as, of course, we don't, we're certainly not happy about no anything that he has done, but just as far as interest-wise, these are the kind of cases that Tori really enjoys to discuss deeper into. Yeah. Yes, I don't enjoy anything that this stupid idiot has done, like she said, But as far as cases go, and this, I mean this with no disrespect, but cold cases, or not cold cases, excuse me, unsolved cases can go kick rocks. I do not enjoy them. I don't want to talk about them. I need closure. Something like this case, however, where we have the closure, something that I don't mind spending some time on. Right. Yeah. I don't like these, so (laughs) I'm having having a bad day. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're just... um, I don't, it's, 
I just, I hate this guy. Yes. And I fully agree with you on that one. The feeling is 100% mutual. I can't stand him. He's disgusting. And I hope that he burns in hell, which I'm pretty sure he is already. Oh, he is. He's definitely, yeah, he's definitely hot right now. Yes. All right. So in case you didn't look at the title, uh, this is Sam Little. And he was apparently, supposedly, you did not just say supposedly. Yeah, I did that just to piss you off. Oh, God. Well, you got me too. I think you got me with that one. Man, two for the price of one. (laughs) But he's supposed to be one of the most, if not the most prolific serial killers in American history. And I think that's probably as far as totally confirmed victims. Because, you know, there's some others like what they think that, you know, they think some of these like nurse or doctor people could have hundreds, you know, Mm -hmm. of people that they killed, but they're not confirmed. So man, what a douchebag. This is a two-parter just to let you know about that. So we're going to get one part like part one done today. If you're a patron, you'll have part two right away. If you're not a patron, you'll wait a week and that's your journey. Like whatever you want to do, we're cool with that. Yeah, exactly. If you're not a patron yet, we we think you'd really like it. I guess we're biased. I mean, little. we like it. Yeah. I love it. I, I think it is the best use of your money <laughs> that there is out there. And and that's just, I've I've laid out like pros and cons, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I just, I feel like it's a good deal. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you buy in at the $3 a month level, you get ad-free episodes, all of them. That's worth it. Yeah, it is. And if you, if you scoot on up in the tiers, you get mm-hmm. extra episodes every month. You get three episodes a week. I know. How many $10. episodes is that a month? That's like 42 episodes a month. You At least 42 episodes. You yeah. can't beat it. You cannot beat it. I don't know of... I'm not trying to brag here. But I don't know of anybody else that puts out that many episodes. <laughs> I bet we get like a billion comments like, well, this one does and this one does and this one does. <laughs> well, the fact of the matter is you can give us all kinds of examples, but we're not going to believe them because we know that we're the only ones. So... Yeah, and also we were the first people to ever even start a true crime podcast anyway. <laughs> exactly. Uh, if you if there was fine print here, it would say, we know that that's not true and we're just joking. Yeah. So please don't come yeah. for us. None of these statements have been verified by the FDA. No. And Terrell and Tori could not be contacted for comment on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're not going to answer that phone call. But yeah, so anyway, join the Patreon if you want extra episodes, ad-free episodes. Um, we do docu-series coverage there. We do a, new, a separate case every week. So got a lot to do over there. And of course, you get early access to multi-parters. Just so. like this one that you're listening to right meow. Mm-hmm. And if you're not following us on Instagram, so do. So Because like, do. you know, there's stuff going on over there too. Yeah. We like to think, again, probably biased, but we like to think that we have a pretty fun time over there. We have the best Instagram on the internet. (laughs) Everybody knows. These are verified facts. Yeah, everyone agrees. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, that's enough of that. Totally enough of that. Oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. Okay. (gasps) It's 10 o'clock in the morning. I already had... Banana bread 
and I had, I ate extra gummy vitamins because I tasted good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had pistachios and I had a coffee. Wow. I'm hungry. You're a little <laughs> bottomless pit today. I know. I want a sandwich. Tapeworm Tuesday. I know. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. Okay. Okay. On September 27th, 1984, 22-year-old Lori Barros was walking the streets of San Diego, California. Lori was in a rough patch in her life, and she had been selling sex for money. Tonight, she would have a very different night than usual. Lori said she was snatched off the street and thrown into a brown station wagon with wood grain sides. The kidnapper drove Lori to a secluded area where he then threw her into the back seat and started attacking her. Lori knew she had to fight. The assailant began choking her, and when she fought, he pushed harder on her neck. Lori could tell that this was a man who had never even wanted sex from her. He just choked her. She would fade out of consciousness, and then he'd let her regain consciousness and begin again. Which is so... It's just, I mean, obviously it's hateful to murder somebody, but just like, I don't know. Well, you know it's like I mean? he's toying with her like a cat does a mouse, you know? Like, you know... Yeah the the end uh, the end game there like what's going to happen but to prolong it that is just a whole another kind of hate it really is and also i feel like every episode you confirm like give me reasons that like the universe confirms why cats are horrible oh i mean that wasn't the point of that i was using it <laughs> well just <laughs> eat your mouse i mean come on true jeez okay so anyway yeah it's awful and at one point, the man told Lori, I like it when you swallow. I hate Ugh. I hate that whole sentence just all by itself. No matter I, what yes. you're doing, I don't like to hear that. Ew, no. Unless no. you're using that statement to a toddler who won't swallow their food before they take another bite. But you certainly aren't going to say it that way. No, you, you are not. You're going to say, say, let's chew our food and swallow. Exactly. I do have to say that every night 40,000 times. That's, that's the only... And I'm just... It's a stretch here. I'm just reaching... Yeah, I see. I see that you're trying, and I am okay. But but good try. (laughs) Thank you for shooting me right down. Yeah. Well, you know we're honest here. (laughs) But eventually, Lori did pass out, and the man pushed her out of the car in the secluded area that they were in, and he just drove off. She ends up regaining consciousness, and she played dead. And she would later say that she laid there without moving a muscle for at least a half hour in case he came back. How? Absolutely terrifying is that. Mm -hmm. When he did not return and she felt like, okay, I'm in the clear. He's not coming back. She pulled herself up and she walked to a payphone. She called her friend and asked them to come pick her up. And she's like, okay, something bad's happened. I need you to come get me. So her friend picks her up and she was eventually convinced to report the attack to the police. She'd been hesitant to report the attack because she'd been out there as a sex worker. and that was illegal. So of course she doesn't want to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so many of these attacks go unreported because of that reason for fear of getting in trouble themselves, of course. Right. And I just wanted to interject that for our younger listeners, because I know we have a few, a payphone is an mm -hmm. ancient relic that people used to use because there were no such things as cell phones. So if you wanted to contact someone while you were out, you had to either use like wherever you were, like their business phone. I will have you reference Mrs. Doubtfire when he has to use Bridges, uh, the restaurant's (gasps) phone. 
Or you had to use 25 cents or 20 cents or however much it was at that time and use Mm -hmm. a payphone. Yep. That's all. Yeah, that is all. Um, What a wild, what a time to be alive. I know. And if the person wasn't home, you had to leave a message and just wait. Yeah, and then just wait. Just wait. Like, yeah, there were so many times I would like call a friend, you know, in school and I'm like, hey, is Sarah there? And they're like, no, she's not here right now. And I'm like, okay, well, in six hours when she gets back, just, you know, let her know that I called. It's like, and let's what hope if I had an emergency, right? Well, what what would that emergency have been, Torella? Well, what if a boy had called me and I need to tell oh, her about that it? That's very true. A or boy did not call me. You found out what if he did, <laughs> or you found out that Justin Timberlake like, changed his favorite color. So then you're like, do I change my favorite color? Does that mean of that we're not you meant to your be? favorite color? See, and that's well, the thing. That's the yeah. argument that I always use: why Lance Bass and I are meant for each other because I changed my favorite color for him. Mm. Hunter Green, man, Lance is meant to oh, it. Oh, Hunter Green, yeah. Baby blue over here. Well, that just is. I mean, what what basketball team? The Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> or some shit? It's like, yeah, they do have that. I was thinking North Carolina, but I think it was though. I mean, you're the you know you're his true love, so you should know. I know, but I blocked out most of my childhood, so I don't really remember. <laughs> okay. But anyway, um, but I do know that I got really into Bentleys about it. No, you got really cars. into Bentleys about <laughs> that it. That was his favorite car. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so she was able to give the police excellent descriptions of both the car and the perpetrator. Flyers were created, and the police began looking for this unknown man. During their graveyard shift one evening, rookie officer Wayne Spees... Spees? Spees? Spees. I don't like it. It's not his fault, but I don't like it. Yeah. Okay, so Wayne Spees... And his partner decided to go back to the area where Lori had been attacked. And they were like, you know, maybe maybe he'll use the spot again. Maybe he'll come back again. The officers turned all their lights off. They rolled down the gravel road where they were um, surprised. I would say pleasantly surprised. But there sits a brown station wagon with the chrome sides or wood grain sides. Chrome? I don't know. <laughs> you just made that. You pulled that right out of your ass. I really did. I was thinking <laughs> brown and chrome would go better together, but well, here we are. But this is, I mean, again, what a time to be alive, right? Because that station wagon moment with the like door in the back and it was like the huge back of it that you could like ride in and it felt like you were, I don't know, in a spaceship or something. That yeah. was such a family car. It was every family car. And this guy used that car. Like, I'm not going to sit here and let him ruin station wagons for me, okay? Well, no, because 
it's disarming a little bit, you know, isn't it? Like, well, yeah. oh, it's just a station wagon. It's not a great van. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So they've got all their lights off. They're driving down the gravel road and they see that damn station wagon mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, hell no, he did not. So they get up there and then all of a sudden, like all their lights, they turn them on. Blue lights, high beams, interior lights, literally every light they have. So they turn on all the lights shining at this car and then a man pops up out of the back seat and Officer Spies approached the vehicle and the man inside the car, he like gets out and he's like adjusting his pants. He's like zipping them up and walking towards them. I don't like it. And he described the man as a large black man over six feet tall and over 200 pounds with huge hands. So many people... (laughs) who meet him and talk to him are like, his hands are huge. Yeah, they cannot stress enough the hugeness of these hands. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, what are you doing out here, dude? And he's like, oh, well, you know, me and my wife got in a fight, but everything's okay now and we're making up. What I, I would have to ask, did you guys get in a fight over the fact that you attacked someone in the same spot a couple days ago? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And Spies said he could see scratches on the man's neck Mm. and his partner was walking up on the other side of the car. So this guy was, like we said, he was a rookie cop. So he's still got somebody traveling with him that is like kind of teaching him, I think. Like it lets him take the lead on the situation, but it's almost like a, you know. Like a shadow for him. Like, yes, yeah. yeah. So he's letting him take the lead. But while he's talking to this guy, the other guy walks around in the car and looks inside. And he finds a woman in the back seat who at first they were like, this woman might be dead. And then they heard her gurgling. So when they come up to the car, she was naked. She was on her back. But her top, the top half of her body was in the floorboard behind the driver's seat. And then the bottom half of her body was like up on the seat. And they said her legs were completely spread. She was bleeding from her mouth and her nose and she was barely alive. Mm -mm. I want you to prepare in this moment for who it is that you're going to throw out the window (laughs) in a few minutes. Just, I want you to get that ready because when when the moment comes, you don't want to be searching. No. And I also think that it might behoove you to go ahead and line up a few things to throw out the window. Especially (sighs) if you are a patron and are going to go ahead and listen to the second part. Oh, definitely. There's it, all of your furniture. That's gone now. Yes. That's gone. Just kiss it goodbye. It's it, mm-hmm. You don't need it. Mm-hmm. You might have to clean out the fridge on this one. Just whatever <laughs> you can throw out. I mean, my Throw God. the fridge out too, yeah. It, well, yeah. I mean, it's going to definitely be easier to throw out when all the food's out of it too. <laughs> so, but the, obviously they arrest this man. They get the ambulance there to care and tend to this woman. And they keep telling her, you know, it's going to be okay and everything's going to be all right. So once they get her on the way to the hospital, the officers read the arrested man, his Miranda rights, and they ask if he's willing to talk to them. And they're like, he's like, yeah, sure, fine. They're like, okay, well, what's your name? He says, Sam McDowell. So they take Sam McDowell to the hospital and they get a rape kit done. And the doctor collects DNA from McDowell at the exam. And he tells everyone that the rape kit would show that there was no rape. And 
he'd show you, he's like, I'll show you where my hands were on her neck, but I did not rape this woman. (laughs) Okay? He's got standards. Well, yes. It reminds me, of course, of the whole nine yards. Jimmy the Tulip Tedeschi. He does not mind being a A murderer. man with morals. Yes, but he flat out refuses to get a divorce because of religion. He doesn't believe in it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he told the officers he picked up the woman for 20 bucks. And in his words, he said, I should have killed that whore. She deserved everything she got. This... Go ahead and throw something out. (laughs) You you need to throw something out now. This isn't even the moment I was talking about, but you got to throw something out right now. Who the fuck do you think you are? I cannot. I cannot with him. What? Okay. We've talked about this before and I know it, but what really, 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 really bothers me. I know what you're going to say. About people who, especially people like this. Who are patrons of sex workers. Yes, who are patrons will then turn around and disparage them and their character because of what it is that they're doing for a living. Like they didn't just use their fucking services. Exactly. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me right now, dude? Like, whatever. Well, that's society, man. It's like men are fine, but women... And I'm using this. I don't mean to make a sweeping generalization about all men, Mm -mm. but societally, that has been how it has been. Like historically Mm -hmm. in society, that's what it is. Women are disgusting and loose, uh-huh. and whatever, and men are right. like, well, boys, we boys. <laughs> well, yeah, and like you have, you know, two people in high school. This guy has slept with 10 girls. This girl has slept with 10 guys. She's a whore. He's getting high fives. Yeah, like he's a hero. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> so he was he was really just more angry at the police for stopping him because <gasps> uh, he didn't get to finish killing her. See, and I feel like you know, there's that whole like, you're not sorry you did it. You're sorry you got caught. And he's the yeah. definition. Of and, and not afraid to say it. That's what I don't understand. I know. And honestly, I don't think it was that he was, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he wanted to kill her. He wanted to be able to finish the job so that she couldn't testify against him maybe. But it really was for him. It was more about the act and not the murder itself. Yes. I don't know. I don't know how much he cared either way. It's just if you are going to strangle somebody, the odds are they're going to die. Like, well, I mean, it's kind of like that when we did, oh my gosh, Armin Mivis. Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing. It's like if you have a certain sexual pleasure and that entails strangling, um, cannibalism, things like that. Mm -hmm. Not to be gross and graphic and gruesome. You got one shot at it, right? I mean, it's like... Right. You can't continue to do that. Eventually, you're gonna... Somebody's gonna die. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. So, they get the DNA from this rape kit and it does take him down. He goes down for this this rape kit. 30 years later. <laughs> 30 years later. Mm-hmm. Sam McDowell ends up really being Sam Little. Samuel Little. But he, I guess, goes by Sam. Um, and he's known as the most prolific serial killer in American history. And he's a dipshit. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Why don't we get into a little background on Samuel Little? Please do. Okay. He was born in Reynolds, Georgia on June 7th, 1940 to 16-year-old Bessie May Little. I have to say, I think Bessie May is adorable. That is fucking precious. Isn't it? It really is. And 19-year-old Paul McDowell. He would tell detectives that his mom was a sex worker, but according to Cleveland Magazine, the 1940 census had her listed as a maid. That doesn't mean either Little or the periodical are wrong, though. She could have been both. One documentary said that Bessie left Sam on the streets when he was little. But however it came to be that she left him, she did. It doesn't, you know, when or why, I don't think it's very clear, but we just know that it happened. Mm -hmm. Sam Little was raised by his paternal grandparents, the McDowells, whose name he later used as an alias, but Little was quite the handful. In February 1954, Sam's bad behavior got him sent to a boys' industrial school. This was a reformatory school in Ohio that Little claimed he was sent to because he had stolen a bicycle. He stayed in the reformatory for about a year and a half, but he did no reforming. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, didn't work, work right? That <laughs> and we've seen that quite a few times. I don't mm-hmm. know if we can really count the school that Albert Fish went to as a reformatory school, but whatever they tried to do, you know, like that kind of stuff, it doesn't usually work. I mean, I feel Mm -hmm. like they're going to do what they're going to do, right? Little had had 47 write-ups for disciplinary infractions while he was there. That's a lot for a year and a half. His behavior did not improve upon his release either. In November of 1956, Little was arrested in Omaha, Nebraska for burglary. Little would continue to be arrested and charged with burglary, theft, assault, rape, which would have pissed him off Yep, so much. You you can't piss him off any more than calling him a rapist. Yeah, even though he, in fact, raped me. Okay, okay, okay. Throughout his life, he would serve minimal time for all of his misbehavior, either not getting convicted or getting out of jail for good behavior. And that only, that kind of thing just perpetuates that behavior because then they're like, oh, look, I don't have to fix this. I can just keep, they learn. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's big here. He had so much... Like so many run-ins and stuff. Yeah, yeah, with law enforcement that he learned every time, plus from like magazines and stuff. But Mm -hmm. yeah, he learned every time how to talk his way out of stuff. It's just, yeah, so many opportunities to learn from it, which is just awful. In 1961, he was arrested for breaking into a furniture store in Lorain, Ohio, and was sentenced to three years in prison. In 1966, he was arrested in Cleveland for assault and battery of a woman. By the 70s, Little became a transient and just rolled around the country in different cars. This 
case reminded me a lot, a lot of the confession killer. Mm -hmm. If you remove the fact that Henry Lee Lucas didn't actually commit any of these murders (laughs) and they were giving him the answers, but like (laughs) the drawing, painting the victims, he literally just rolled around the entire United States. Yes. Like, and he could recall, he could actually recall details like the headline of the newspaper on the day he murdered somebody, like... Right. Insane. It's been said that things that would jog his memory or, like, help him with a timeline is what car he was driving at the time. He associated everything with his, like, Astro Vans and shit. He, like, really liked cars, but, like, station wagons. Yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm thinking he liked cars with enough room to get the job done. Well, sure. But it's like, you know, I feel like a lot of guys, they're like, I like muscle cars or big trucks or whatever it is. Is that that what they sound like in your mind? Is that, have you ever heard a man that sounds any different than that? I like big trucks. (laughs) I like to drive big trucks. (laughs) But um, my guy voice used to be, oh, I really like a truck or whatever. I don't know. I used to make him sound like that. I don't know what happened. But yeah. Him rips and drywall. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like guys like, you know, cooler cars or like the boys in my seventh grade class. My God, if I heard Dodge Viper one more time, <gasps> I was going to fucking scream. Well, and then you've got some sorts of boys that like really, I mean, kind of surprising cars to me, like those little Honda hatchbacky type of things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In high school, my dude friends like those. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, there's like a specific, I don't know, but he's just like, yep. And I had this glorious station wagon then, which uh, you're right. He likes the idea of the room that it has, but it's just kind of funny to think about that. No, like, it is. When you think about cars, people are like obsessed with your like Corvette. Or right. And he's like, whatever. And he's man, like, that PT Cruiser. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got a real ass on it. <laughs> it does though. It really does. All right, so on January 31st, 1970, Little, who was almost 30 at the time, which is also unusual, he waited until he was almost 30, Mm -hmm. was in Miami, Florida at a bar. He meets a 33-year-old woman named Mary Brosley. He had always enjoyed choking women during sex. And that's not uncommon. No, it's not, which is... messed up. I don't know. I mean, two consenting adults, whatever, but... Exactly, but... I don't know what really kind of hit home for me in this was thinking like, and I'm certainly not trying to be gross or anything like that, but when you're in the heat of the moment with somebody, you're not thinking like, you know, cause there's that kind of like, you know, you're like, you know, you're grabbing at each other and like, whatever. You're not thinking like inappropriate right now. (laughs) You're not thinking like at any moment that person could just choke the life out of Oh, me. right. And I think that, you know, in that kind of moment, I'm sure you're not like, ooh, it'd be really sexy if they passed out right now. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's... Ugh, I mean, I hope, I, you know, again. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, exactly. So he enjoyed, like, the act of choking, but he wanted more. And he said that he knew from a very young age that he was going to murder somebody. Well, he talked he about it being, like, to. seven or eight. Seven or eight, yeah. And it's things like that that you wish that there had been an adult in his life who could have seen the warning signs and gotten him some help, you know? Because obviously he's not going to get the help himself. No. And I understand that possibly 
choking because a lot of times, like we talked about the McDonald triad so many times, right? But mm-hmm. harming animals, was he choking animals out? I know that that probably didn't give him, I know choking all by itself was, it did it for him. Did it matter though what he was choking? I think so because it, I mean, there were women that he would come into contact with, right? That he wouldn't choke because he didn't like the way their throat looked yeah, as much. Yeah, that's true. I, ugh. You know what? Don't birds have a weird throat thing? Like they have that like, <laughs> I know it's kind of, this God. is dumb. Well, not not this way, but <laughs> some boy birds, they have like really brightly colored throats and they're oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, hey, yeah, it's look a mating throat. thing. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So maybe he's a bird. Maybe, but it doesn't make any it precious. No, it certainly it's not does gonna, not. I'm not. It's not some notebook shit. Like if I'm a bird, you're a bird. No, no, no. That that went off the rails. I don't know what I'm talking it about. It really did, yeah. <laughs> um, Mary Brosley would unfortunately leave the bar with Sam Little that night. They drove to the Everglades and he strangled her to death. He then buried her in a shallow grave and just continued on about his night and really about his life. Just like, all right, well, there's that. The Everglades is, I hate to put it like this, is kind of the perfect place to dump a body, right? Yeah, it is. And and that's another thing about him. He's very smart the way he does all of this. Yes. He knows. I'm not paying him a compliment in any way, but he is, again, he's like researched it a lot. He has read a lot about stuff. He pays attention to advancements in law enforcement Mm -hmm. and he does what he needs to do to not get caught and to do this for as long as humanly possible. Well, I think I think bringing up the fact that he was smart about it, again, it's not a compliment, but I think it's important to note because that's how he got away with it for as long as he did. And right. you need to be made aware of that because I think it's really irresponsible to write off a murderer as being stupid because that's yeah. what's going to not get cases solved. Like, Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that he did do that was stupid was that he thought that the victims that he chose, because they were all sex workers, Mm -hmm. almost all of them were sex workers, that nobody would care to look for them. Mm -hmm. And boy, was he fucking wrong. Yes. Unfortunately, though, I was talking to a friend about this case, like just kind of mentioning it. And they were like, oh, I've never heard of him before. And I was like, well, yeah, I think that The reason is because Sam Little, it was a black man and all of the victims, not all, a lot of the victims were sex workers. And that is a demographic that unfortunately people don't seem to care that much about. Nope, they don't care about them as much. And thank goodness the investigators in these cases did. Mm -hmm. And the family members, you know, these people, these women had family and they wanted to know what happened to them. Like, I don't know. Again, I think it's... uh, I think irresponsible is a very good word to use as well because like with this sort of thing, because I think people, hear me out here, this to me, the marginalization of victims that are sex workers and people of color, right? Yeah, people of color, like all these things is irresponsible for a lot of reasons. But to me, it is akin to how people like in that Justin Ross Harris, the hot car trial, how they say, well, I'm not a bad parent. I wouldn't leave my kid in a car. I don't got to worry about that. Right? Nope, wouldn't happen to me. It's so irresponsible because that's the whole thing. It can happen to anybody. And when you look at the reason that a lot of these women became sex workers because of addiction, Mm -hmm. you completely throw out the fact that addiction is- It touches everybody. 
It is no respecter of persons. It doesn't care who you are, what kind of life you lead, what kind of friends you have, what kind of church you go to, what color you are, any of that. Well, and you can slip into it so easily by having a minor surgery or, Mm -hmm. you know. Yes, exactly, exactly. And so to look at victims who have struggled with that and who are struggling to overcome that and they're doing what they need to do because now the chemistry in their brain has changed to the point that they feel like they need this to survive. Like, I just... I don't know. It's it's irresponsible. It's irresponsible because you're talking about somebody that could so just as easily be you. And if you can sit there and say that would never happen to me, then you are a liar. Well, and you're in danger. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're misinformed. And that's a dangerous outlook to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It just, it pisses me off. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So this is going to be a nine hour episode, <laughs> I guess. No. <laughs> so settle in. In May of 71, he got arrested again, and this time for armed robbery in Cleveland. He was also reportedly charged with sodomy. He was found not guilty of the robbery, and he ended up never being tried for the sodomy. At some point after this acquittal, he meets a 60-something-year-old woman named Aurelia Jean Dorsey. He and Aurelia traveled together and helped each other out. She would shoplift things, and then he'd sell them for money. Their relationship was, it was a transactional relationship. She was essentially his traveling alibi and they would work together to get money that wasn't theirs, you know? Yeah, but it it, it does seem sort of, because I think that that's very true for him. She was, it was transactional for him, but I wonder if she cared about him. I think she did. I think she because did too. She Why would stuck she? stuck her neck out for yes. him quite a bit. Why would yeah. she do that if she didn't care? Because he sure didn't give her anything. Oh, no. And he's dead inside. Oh, yeah. There's nothing in him that cares about another human being. Not even a little bit. Well, only about himself, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So he definitely, again, it's a transaction for him. What can I get out of her that is going to benefit me? And I mean, just for whatever reason, he never killed her. Mm-hmm. But, man, he, I, I feel like it's because just the simple fact that he didn't like her throat. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Her only saving grace was that she didn't have a pleasing throat to him. Yeah. Had to be because I just, I don't know any other reason. I mean, she did benefit him with the traveling alibi, but I just don't, I don't know that that would overpower his, no, I need to kill this person. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. There's nothing in him that would have had enough self-control for that to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So during this time when they're traveling together, he's still killing and a lot of these women remain unknown. The fact that, and again, we've talked about it before. People who aid in this kind of behavior and don't say anything and don't, you have to be dead inside too. How do you, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand it. Like, but I wonder if she had the attitude of just like, these women got what they deserve. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's so sad to me that people can look at another human being and decide yourself that they're trash and not worth living. Yeah. I will never understand it. I don't either. Everybody is, I mean, they're humans. I just, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. In September of 1976, he was arrested again for what an article on Oxygen said was intent to ravish rape in St. Louis, Missouri. The victim survived and told the police that Little choked her with a cord and threw her in his car. That's strange. 
He never, ever used any kind of ligature. Mm-mm. It was because, and we'll probably get into it a little bit later, but the sexual gratification for him was using his hands to feel it happen. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that's why, because she said that he beat her until she passed out and then drove her somewhere remote and raped her and he got three months in jail. That just doesn't sound like him. Mm-mm. I don't, I don't know if I believe that that actually was him. Yeah, I wonder if it was either somebody else or he tried something and it did not, it didn't do it for him the way he wanted it to. And so he went back to, no, I'm just going to use my hands. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's not his MO. No. It's just, that's an interesting one. Yeah. In November of 82, he was arrested again, this time for shoplifting in Pascagoula, Mississippi. The officers noticed that he matched the description of a man suspected in the murder of a woman named Melinda. She went by Mindy Rose LaPree. So let's talk a little bit about Mindy LaPree. Melinda Mindy LaPree was from a small town in New Hampshire, and her siblings remember her as being a happy kid. They also said that she was, quote unquote, the light of their mom's life. Unfortunately, in 1967, Mindy's mom died 12 hours after giving birth to her fifth child due to complications from that delivery. That scares me every day. Mm -hmm. The act of childbirth is so intense and it's like women do it all the time and then stuff like this. Okay, we could, I could do a whole, like a whole episode on just my feelings. (laughs) Why I'm scared of childbirth. Yes, but I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Yeah. So Mr. LaPree didn't know how to handle five kids on his own. Older sister Pat had to step in and become kind of the mom, which if she's anything like Torella, no problems. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I've been just waiting to give you a list of chores. <laughs> waiting in the wings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which as a sibling that has benefited from that, I have to say thanks a million. <laughs> <laughs> so Pat said that Mindy wanted to learn guitar. So she showed her little sister a few basic things and Mindy just took off with it. She was like a musical prodigy. They, That's incredible. I know. Her brother and sister, Pat, and then her brother said that it, she like could hear something once and play it by ear. And she just uh-huh. taught herself. She had a flute, a piano, she taught herself guitar. Like it was amazing what Everything. she could do. Yeah. yeah. She would just literally pick up an instrument and just play it. Mm-hmm. Like there was no... That's uh, incredible. Yeah. But Mr. LaPree... Mindy's dad was not a fan and did not appreciate the fact that she was a musical prodigy. And Mindy's sibling said that he had a temper and a vicious backhand with a big Marine Corps ring. And Mindy was strong-willed and sassy and he hated that. So he would beat her and drag her by the hair. And her siblings remember that the older Mindy got, the more she acted out. Of course. Yeah. What are you supposed to do with that? You either cower to that, which... There's no shade either way. You got, you know, whoever you are, however you handle that. I could see myself not handling that well. (laughs) At this stage of my life, I don't think I would. Mm -mm. Mindy was addicted to drugs by age 12, but she still graduated from high school. And she graduated a year early with straight A's. I mean. Impressive. Yeah. (laughs) After graduating, she left New Hampshire and the rage of her father. She found work as a bouncer in a bar. And by 1982, she and her boyfriend, Bill, moved to Mississippi. In Mississippi, which I only want to call it Mississippi. (laughs) In Mississippi, she began selling drugs and her body. On October 25th, 1982, Mindy gave birth to a baby boy named Will. And her family asked her to come home so she could help, so they could help her out. But she was like, no, I'm fine. I'm staying down here. We're good. Yeah. After Labor Day, 
which was 12 days after giving birth, Bill called Mindy's father and informed him that Mindy was missing. Then Bill officially reported Mindy missing. On October 4th, the maintenance man at a local cemetery reported smelling a dead body, which probably wasn't that surprising. Well, I don't know. I mean, cemetery, you think dead bodies, right? But they're in coffins and they've been embalmed. So yeah, they've had some not uh, the, help. Yeah, they've yeah. had some preparation. Yeah. So he found a body and it was laying on discarded flowers and it was so badly decomposed that the authorities couldn't determine the sex right away. The body was finally identified by a previous fracture in her leg, which I thought was really interesting because a lot of times it's like dental records and stuff, but apparently this fracture was like, I mean, it's, I don't know. I know a lot of people who have had a broken leg. I don't know, but yeah, but there's a, there's, I think there's like, I mean, I know there's different types of fractures too, but I guess when you look at the odds, right? You know, it's like, like somebody who's been reported missing. missing and yeah, yeah. I just, I've never, you usually hear dental records. So I was just kind of mm-hmm. surprised to hear that they identified her by her leg fracture, but yeah, they identified her as Melinda Lepree. Her death her cause of death was manual strangulation, causing her hyoid bone to become dislodged. And a lot of time with strangling, the hyoid bone is broken, but this time it was dislodged. Yeah, and if for some reason the hyoid bone isn't affected, I mean, by the time she's that badly decomposed, manual strangulation is really hard to confirm with a badly decomposed body unless the hyoid bone is broken or or dislodged, dislodged right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it's, I don't know. The way, the more we talk about cases and the more we talk about the forensic side of it, it's just so interesting to me, like how much they can tell from something when you have so little to go off of. I don't know. Yeah. But I guess they think that they do. Anyway, I understand why you wanted to go to the uh, body farm now. Yep. A, See? Yeah. It took me a while. <laughs> now I get it. <laughs> A witness reported seeing Mindy get into a brown station wagon with wood grain sides and Alabama plates. A bolo, which is a be on the lookout, was issued for the car and the man who was described as driving it. Samuel Little was arrested after a simple traffic stop, which isn't that the way. Uh His arrest also led the officers to link him to another murder in Florida in Alachua County just three days before Mindy went missing. On September 12th, the body of a woman was found in a hayfield just outside of Gainesville. Her body had been moved and her clothes were laying nearby with human feces on them. She had marks on her neck and the officer recognized her as Patricia Mount. And I just want to say, the closeness in which these murders took place, like how close they were back to back like that, is terrifying. Uh Yeah. It's like his, his insatiable... Um, need to kill is mm-hmm. just ugh. or not kill but yeah. strangle I mean you know they yeah. go hand in hand right but exactly as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when I was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So Patricia Mount was 26 years old at the time, and she was no stranger to the police. She reportedly had a very low IQ. Um, They reported an IQ of 40, and I don't know. I'm always a little leery of IQs as well when they're reported because most of the time they're not tested. Like there's no... There's nothing to confirm that. Well, and yeah, I feel like why even mention it because you're just speculating. Right. I don't know. Oh, and also we never said this, but thank you so much to Sloan for researching. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. As always, girl. Yes. You're you're the bomb. Yes. So she was known to go to a particular bar and get really drunk and get into fights that she would typically lose. In fact, she'd been in the police station just the night before drunk and almost blacked out complaining about being beaten. Her husband, who also had an intellectual disability, picked her up to take her home. Uh, Little encountered Patricia at her usual bar, and after being shot down by a few other women, he finally got through to Patricia Mount. Patricia had been known to talk to pretty much anyone who would buy her drinks. She leaves with Sam Little, and multiple witnesses described the heavyset black man with facial hair who got into a station wagon with wood grain siding. Ugh. A bolo was issued for him in his car. So after arresting Little for their own murder, the Mississippi police called the Florida police about their bolo and gave them the name Samuel McDowell. The Florida police drove to Mississippi and they talked to Sam Little. He was smug. He denied his involvement. After the police continued their questioning, Little admitted that, yeah, he'd been in that bar, but he didn't leave with anybody. He had a lot of experience with the police and getting out of trouble, so he knew how to handle this. So the officers find out about Aurelia Dorsey, and they go to the motel to talk to her. And despite him abusing her, she stuck by him and told the officers that Sam wouldn't hurt anyone. But they were not the only two people staying in that motel and traveling together. There was a third person. So this is a guy named Danny. He was a young man from Arkansas who joined up with Little and Aurelia. He was more talkative than the other two. He told the officers that the night that Patricia Mount went missing, Little was not at the hotel. And initially, I think Aurelia said, oh yeah, he was here the whole time. Like whatever. Right. He said that Little had come in the next morning right around daybreak and there was a really, really bad smell in his car. When Little strangled Patricia, she had apparently defecated in the back seat. So that's why the car smelled so badly. And that's why there were there was feces on her clothes. Danny informed the police that whenever Little would come home, Aurelia would clean out his car thoroughly. Why is this necessary? Uh, Exactly. And also, it just really disgusts me that he was able to have all these like little henchmen. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I don't enjoy that at all. Danny said that he was afraid of Little. He worried that if he said anything... To him about any of the things that he saw, he would do something to him or he'd get kicked out and he wouldn't have anywhere to stay. 
So Danny IDs Sam McDowell, aka Sam Little, and told officers that Little told him that he hated women. The Mississippi District Attorney in Pascagoula wouldn't press charges saying that there wasn't enough evidence. Little was sent to Florida since they had a more ironclad case. Not only did they have Little with Patricia Mount leaving the bar and the description of his car, but they also had a strand of hair that was a match visually because of the 80s, but it was a match to Sam Little. The trial was set to start in 1983, but right before the trial starts, Danny, who was their absolute star witness, disappeared. So the trial was postponed twice. And then finally they were like, he's not coming back. We'll sail without him. Yeah, we'll sail without him. We have to. During the trial, the hair found on Patricia was explained away as Little had danced with her. So of course he got hair on her at the bar. The jury only spent 30 minutes and came back with a not guilty verdict. And within two hours, Sam Little was back on the streets. And knowing what we know, it is so frustrating. Uh Go ahead and throw something out. You got to. Yeah, you have to. You have to. So Little was out and about and wasted no time killing again. In September 1984, he attacked Lori Barros. She survived and filed a report sparking the collection of Sam Little's DNA and the next trial. Thank God for this DNA. Yes. In her report. Yes. Sam Little was arrested and tried for the attempted murder of Lori Barrows and Tanya Jackson, the woman he was killing when the police arrested him. Like she was the one that was in the seat and gurgling. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor, Gary Rimple, began preparing for the trial and saw the charges of murder in Florida. He called Alachua County and talked about the cases. Rimple said that Little's rap sheet was one of the longest he'd ever seen where there were very few convictions. Shoplifting, soliciting, burglary, armed robbery, attempted murder. We could go on and on. Mm-hmm. I, I want to light my house on fire about it, but anyway. Yeah. It reminds me of Gary Heidnick how people Uh fall through the cracks like this. I just do not understand, but okay. Yeah. He would also find out that the defense attorney from that trial had been told by Sam Little that he had killed about 60 women, but this was protected with attorney-client privilege. So Rimple couldn't use this information in a trial. Once in court, Little claimed that the women (laughs) attacked him first. Wow. (laughs) I mean, bold move. See if it pays off. These are small women too. These are small women. So you're talking about a a very small woman alone in a car with this huge man. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to take him. No. Yeah. That did not happen. No, it didn't happen. And the fact that he's so willingly after Tanya, he was like, I'll show you where I put my hands on her neck. You know, like. And I should have killed her. Yes. I just. Mm -hmm. mm -mm. Okay. But Rimple felt confident that the testimonies of Lori Barros and Tanya Jackson would put Little away. Tanya went first to testify, and she wasn't as great of a witness as Rimple had hoped. The thing is, she came in and she went on the stand hammered drunk and stumbling. Rimple felt that he had to address it, so he asked her what was going on. She told the court that she had to have a few drinks in order to be there. And what struck me, and I think it will strike everybody else as of, with this, is that people, the jury looked at that and they were like, wow, this woman isn't credible. To me, I'm like, this is a cry for help. Like she's, exactly. she's struggling. She's, she's been traumatized. Yes. Of course, she's self-medicating. Yeah. And like, yeah, the jury looks at that and they're like, oh, well, she's trash. Exactly. 
And that, I mean, that's literally what they, that, that's what they thought. Well, and just that she was trash. Paired she'd come with to court drunk. Her being a sex worker. Uh huh. That's yeah. all they needed. And that's just so, ugh. Yeah. Why your opinion of who they are because of what they do Mm-mm. makes them uh, deserving of the trauma that they've experienced, I do not understand. Right. Rimple wanted Little in prison for life, and he was hopeful that Lori's testimony would be more compelling. Lori testified and stuck with her story, but Rimple said that something about the testimony bothered him. Rimple questioned her about his concerns off the stand, and she admitted to him that she had given, that the story that she had originally given, she had left out that she had been working as a sex worker in order to make ends meet, as well as support her drug habit. So she said that she had been kidnapped and taken off the streets. And she said now that she wasn't kidnapped and that she had not been raped, that she had gone with him willingly and he attacked her. Yeah. Yeah. So, and she did that at the at the uh, grand jury mm-hmm. trial. She, she stuck with under oath, he kidnapped me and he attacked me and he raped me. And then now that they're in full swing in trial, she's like, actually, that's not true. Yeah, actually, that part's not true. Yes. The rest of it is true, but that part is not true. But the thing is, even though what happened to them happened to them, their testimonies hurt the prosecution. And yeah, what was worse was that the prosecution... Well, okay, what was worse was that Little had Aurelia on his side. So, yeah. or Aurelia, sorry, I... I keep thinking love actually Aurelia. I know, yeah. Um, So she's 71 years old by now. And she comes in looking like a sweet little lady who's going to church. Yeah. And she testified that he couldn't be responsible for the attacks because he was only, he only got in town two days before Tanya's attack. So there was no way that he could have done Lori. Yeah. And so the defense does something even riskier and they call Sam to testify. And it was noted that he was quote unquote humble and he spoke quietly and firmly. The prosecution only got him off kilter when they talked about the Tanya Jackson attack. He got angry because he said that she cheated him out of his money. I cannot with this man. Like, but what's even worse is that he says this shit on the stand. Mm -hmm. And what does the jury do? So they come back hung nine to three in favor of his acquittal. I was stunned. And the thing is, because they, one came in drunk, one had lied on the stand. I mean, I get it. She perjured herself, but it's, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Like it 100% happened, but they're like, well, I mean, these, these guys are trash. So and we have the sweet little lady who testified for him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I yeah. I think it didn't ha- like let's let him out. Yeah, and the the prosecutor was like, had the jury had any compassion for these two women, he would have been convicted. Mm-hmm. But they didn't. They did not. And look what happens later. He goes back. Yeah. He's released. So Rempel had a choice. He could try again and have Little possibly get away scot free, or he could make a plea deal and get Little off the street for as long as possible. So Rimple offered the deal of pleading guilty to two counts of assault with intent to commit great bodily injury and get sentenced to four years in prison. I cannot believe that only carries a four-year sentence. Right. Great bodily injury. Okay. Little knows that that was his best option, and so he takes the deal. Rimple was mad that that's all he could do because he knew Little would kill again. 
And that's exactly what happened. So Little Mm -hmm. served 30 months for good behavior. And then he's Mm -hmm. released. And in February 1987, he's once again free to leave. Then bodies start showing up again. And this time it's in Los Angeles, California. Hmm. Of course. Way to go, jury. Way to go, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I understand that in certain cases, we've talked about it so many times, like Tom Blue in the face, you don't have all the evidence that you need to to secure a conviction. However, the things that he did that were proven and he was tried and found guilty for, but they were like, well, let's give him 20 mm-hmm. minutes. Well, and here's the thing. Even if you don't believe Tanya Jackson, even if you don't believe Lori Barrows or you don't like them or whatever, those police officers walked in <laughs> on him murdering a woman. Yeah, isn't that enough? Are they lying? Like, yeah. It just, I'm like, okay, throw throw their testimony out then. Fine, toss it out. They They walked up to him committing mm-hmm. this crime. Yeah, and so even if you don't have enough on the Lori Barrows thing, what's attempted murder on Tanya Jackson? Mm-hmm. It's more than four fucking years. Exactly, exactly. And you pair that with, because, okay, let's say that that she attacked him first. He's going to go with that. The only wounds that he had on him were defensive wounds. Yes, scratch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Riddle me that. Exactly. I just, it's just, the whole thing was just, I was like, you're not fucking serious mm-hmm. right now. You're not serious. I mean, I knew something had to happen because he had so many victims because I was like, this is early. Well, yeah, because he's like, this is very early He on. spanned the the amount of time that he was actively killing, 35 years. Mm-hmm. The 70s to early 2005s. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. That's, and he was very, he was not very old, but he was old when that happened. I mean, usually offenders age out of crime. Right. And he was, what, 66 or something well, when he committed his last one? 68? Yeah, he was 30 when he started. And it was 35 years. Mm, okay, so yeah, 65, 66, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I mean, come on. I, it's so sad. It is so, so sad. sad. I know. Well, guys, that's part one. We're going to get, we're going to go to LA next time. Yeah. Bring your swimsuit. Are we going to take the 405 to the 10 and... We'll sit on the freeway for like 80 minutes, yeah. just sitting still. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, um, join us, will you? On the next episode. <laughs> These are the days of our lives. No. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.